0: Hi, I'm Eram and I'm from India and I live in a village called Majkali and I'm an individual rescuer and today I'm going to be talking about my work on John Littlefair's podcast Never Just a Dog.
1: So you live, is it Ranikhet? Is that how you pronounce Ranikhet?
0: Yeah, it's called Ranikhet. Rani means queen and khet means meadow. So it basically translates to queen's meadow. It's the town near where I live and I live another 15 kilometres away in a village uh, called Majkhali. Yes, it's it's in the foothills of the Himalayas.
1: I've seen some photos. I haven't been to India. I haven't been to the Himalayas, but I've seen... Some of the photos, it's absolutely stunning.
0: It's its a very beautiful place.
1: Do you get to venture into the mountain areas of the Himalayas or are you so busy with your work?
0: I don't get to travel for travelling's sake. But because services here for animal rescue are really, uh, you know, scarce, really scanty. So I do get to go to other districts if there's a particularly, uh, you know, bad case that is not uh, getting help there. So I've been to a few places. We have the Jim Corbett Park uh, lower down, 100 kilometers from here. So we've been here and this place for uh, seven years. But we've never been to Jim Corbett. It's a tiger reserve. Uh, But I've been there for rescues, uh, but we've never like really gone on the safari or anything. And uh, then there's another place 150 kilometers from here called Pithoragar. And uh, it's also a very nice, very pretty mountain range. It's higher up. Uh, So I've been there a couple of times to rescue dogs. Uh, So I do travel, but only for rescues.
1: Have you always lived in your village where you are now or were you working in a different field before you got into dog rescue?
0: I used to live in Mumbai. I'm from Mumbai and uh, big city. And I was uh, an editor uh, with a publishing house. And uh, I worked for a couple of uh, publishing houses actually. And uh, we had two children and both kids used to go to daycare. And my husband had his own business, has his own business and he used to be like at his, he travels a lot for his work. He has a tile factory, you know, floor tiles. Uh, he manufactures those in another state in Gujarat. So he had to travel a lot and I had like a full-time job. So our kids used to be in daycare and it was always a retirement plan to go to the mountains. But uh, but when I hit 35, we said that, you know, we can't do this anymore. The kids are in daycare, we don't get to see them. And, you know, they don't get to play, they don't get fresh air. They're like daycare school home, daycare school home. So we said we'll take the plunge and we'll move to the mountains. So we spent a year Uh, traveling to different places in the mountains, seeing where the schools are good and, you know, where uh, it's not too commercialized, there are not too many tourists. And then we finally settled on this place and we just moved here with kids and cats and we had no inkling of what was going to come Uh, in terms of dogs. I've never had a dog before. And in fact, I used to be so scared of dogs that in Mumbai, when I used to see someone walking their dog, I used to cross the road. Because I just did not have any, any inkling of, you know, what dogs are. So, and then when we came here and I saw the dogs, uh, you know, puppies in the snow and uh, dogs without any help and without any sterilization efforts. And I, my house help told me that, you know, they take female puppies and they just bury them alive because they don't want female dogs in the villages and there is no, no option for them. They don't know what is sterilisation, they don't know what is medical care. They, uh, if dogs get mange, they people feel that, you know, it's going to spread to humans and they go and tie up the dog in the forest for the leopard. Uh, that's when I realised that, you know, I have to do something. And that's how it all started.
1: So what year did you move to Machkali?
0: So th- uh, we moved to another village a little further from here. Called Neni and we lived there for four years. We moved in 2016, and uh, so this is now our eighth year.
1: Was it a big adjustment for you and your family to move to a small village after being in Mumbai?
0: In initially, yes, uh, we were bored a lot. There was nothing to do in the evenings, and winters were really brutal. Uh, it it doesn't snow much here because they're the foothills. It just snows once in the season, but uh, November onwards it's bitterly cold we have winter rains and we had to be indoors you know five o'clock is dark uh, there are leopards here so it's not like you can go out for a post-dinner walk or something like that there's absolutely nothing to do here
1: what was the starting point what was the year that you actually started your work
0: I used to see this uh, dog. So we used to live a bit further from the main market where we had to go, where the shops are and stuff. So every time we used to go to this market, we used to see this really furry dog with all the fur on her back missing. She had mange. So what I started doing is feeding that one dog with some biscuits and then I got in touch with a vet and I asked, you know, that what's wrong with this dog because I had no clue what was wrong with the dog. He said she has mange, and uh, so he prescribed some medicines. Then I started feeding that dog the medicines and her fur grew back and uh, then I saw that she's a female dog. And uh, and then I went to the municipality, the town has a municipality, the village does not have any garbage collection or anybody who looks after, you know, sanitation, but in town there was, there is a cantonment board uh, because it's an army town. So I went there and I asked them, what do you do for sterilization? So I'm uh, in Mumbai, we, I was part of a, of a WhatsApp group uh, where we used to attend to cases and uh, like, I was not very, very active with dogs, but with cats, yes, we Always had cats growing up, so I used to be active with uh, cats, and you know, getting cats sterilized, and it's very easy in a city. Like you see a cat, you pick it up, put it in a put her in a carrier, and you take her to the vet. He'll sterilize, he'll keep her for a week or something, and then you bring it's trap neuter release, and you just release the cat back uh, in the area, and she's fine. There are feeders, people feed them, and. Uh, They're they're fine. And even with dogs, uh, like I had friends who would go and rescue dogs, dogs would be run over all the time in cities. So they would go and pick them up, take them to the vet and get them amputated or, you know, get the splint or whatever. And it was, uh, we were like, you know, it was a very nice group and everything was very easy. But when we came here, I went to the enlightenment board and I said, like, what do you do for you know sterilisation? So there's this dog that I've been treating for mange, and she's a female, and I want to make sure that you know she doesn't give birth on the road, and then her puppies get under the cars, and also they they said that you know sometimes uh, an NGO, which is a an animal charity, mm, comes to our town and they sterilise like a hundred dogs in two days, and whenever they come next, we'll let you know and then you get this dog sterilized so then i started trying to find out you know i mean if is there a vet that i can take the dog to and get her sterilized so there was no vet uh, who could do the sterilization at that time i couldn't find anyone and uh, and just after this like while i was uh, you know trying to find out for this dog a female puppy like 3 or 4 months old just walked into our, near a house And my son was five years old at that time and this puppy was jumping up and she just nipped his arm. And uh, my son was playing with the village kids and they immediately caught hold of this puppy and they said, this dog is a biter. And so we are going to take her to the forest and leave her there for the leopard. So I said, no, you're not doing any such thing. You please, uh, we put the puppy in our house. And then I took my son for his anti-rabies vaccination to town. And that's how we got our first dog.
1: (laughs) That was the first. That was the start from the nipping dog.
0: Yeah, her name is Mickey and she's still with us. And she's like, she's the queen and like the leader of all the 20 dogs. And she's a firecracker. She keeps everyone in line. She teaches puppies. She makes sure that, you know, the male dogs don't fight and the young dogs don't bully the puppies. No one eats from each other's bowls. She's an awesome, awesome dog.
1: She's the queen. The queen, the matriarch. Yes,
0: yes, that's exactly.
1: (laughs) When did you lose your fear for dogs?
0: I never, I never was scared. It was just something that I saw people doing. I mean, crossing the road when they see a dog, because I did not know anything about dogs and once i had mickey even the uh, the girl that uh, i was feeding and treating uh, i used to touch her and i never felt that you know she'll bite me or there was just no fear i mean i did not know my own mind uh, what i exactly felt about dogs because i didn't know dogs at that time and with mickey it just it was so natural and and uh, we also tried to get her then i started reading about dogs you know, that you need to get them sterilized and what are vaccinations and this, that. I had no idea. And uh, even we couldn't get her sterilized in, on time. And I had I had no uh, experience on handling a dog in heat. So I knew that I had to protect her from male dogs. But I didn't know that she herself would try to escape to mate. And she ran away one day when she was just six months old and it was her first heat. And she ran away with her neighbor's dog. She got pregnant. And, uh, yeah, that's how, uh, the whole sterilization thing started because I, we had even taken her, there's a teaching college, which is 124 kilometers away from us. We drove her there to get her sterilized before her heat. And there we were told that, you know, you should let her be, uh, you should let her be a mom once. So, that is the level in a teaching college that, you know, a dog needs to be a mother once. And everything that I was reading online said the exact opposite, that you don't need to breed your dogs. You don't need more puppies in this world because it's already, you know, overcrowded and people are not adopting, they're abandoning. And uh, so, this is what happened with Mickey, And then uh, she had seven puppies and uh, five of them were males, two of them were females. The male got adopted like, People were at my door. Please give us the male puppies. Please give us the male puppies. And uh, no one wanted the females. And then one female did get adopted, and we were left with the last one. Uh, she is still with us. And
1: um, what's her name?
0: Her name is Moki. Moki. Yes.
1: How did she get her name? Well, how did Miki get her name? And
0: in- we did not know that she's a girl, so <laughs> so we we named her Miki, and later we re- we realized that she's a she's a girl, but then the name stuck. So. She's Mickey and uh, I don't know how Moki, I think my son uh, keeps these nonsense names for all the dogs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And so what started to happen next?
0: Uh, Then I started uh, to go to the market. It was 12 kilometers from my house, so I used to cook this big pot of rice and break eggs in it. And I used to put it in containers and take it to the market because first I wanted to see which all dogs needed sterilizations, who were the females, were they sterilized or not, how friendly were they. And because we did not have any dog catching, uh, you know, equipment or people, I knew that I had to catch these dogs myself and, you know, take them for sterilization wherever I would have, you know, found. Uh, a doctor to sterilize them and we found a doctor uh, 67 kilometers from our place in an entirely another town uh, called Bhimtal. So we took Mickey there first and we got her fixed and then I decided that I'm going to take these dogs even if I have to take them one by one and get them sterilized there. So that's how I started feeding the dogs and keeping a count. So there were 40 females who were unsterilized at that time. And I used to feed them and pet them. And, you know, I got them vaccinated with a local uh, vet who is not a surgeon. But she's a large animal vet because it's a rural area. So we have this livestock and, you know, uh, they cater to the the government vets and they cater to the livestock of the villagers. So she came and she vaccinated my uh, 40 females and whichever males I could catch. And then uh, I started taking dogs one and two at a time. Uh, for sterilization and during this time the lockdown happened and uh, I started seeing a lot of activity online I started following all uh, rescuers uh, in cities and they got entire colonies of dogs sterilized like this you know because the roads were empty they had no problem catching the dogs they would catch the dogs and take them So, uh, and at that time, I I found out that there is a proper government sterilization unit 40 kilometers from here in another town, in another direction called Almora. So, uh, we, we approached the doctors and we said that we are going to bring two dogs at a time and you please sterilize them. So, they said no, it's the lockdown and, you know, corona and infection and this, that. So I wrote to a minister here, whose, her name is Menka Gandhi, and she is, she is an avid animal lover. And uh, she uh, called the district administration, and they, those vets were directed that, no, you have to sterilize, uh, they will wear masks and everything. And because we were only two women, me and a friend of mine, whom I met during the feeding, her name is Shweta, she helps me with everything. So uh, we started taking two dogs at a time, we did not have cages uh, we did not have uh, any uh, sort of equipment and we used to just keep the dogs on our laps and take them and the dogs used to puke on us and the taxi drivers used to you know they used to rage and say that you know you're dirtying our car and this that and we would get the dogs sterilized and she would take one dog home and I would bring one dog home for the post-op and then once they were fine like in 10 days 12 days we used to go and release them and then we used to catch the next two dogs and uh, this is how we uh, we did 104 dogs, two, three, two, three at a time. Wow,
1: that is such an amazing, amazing story and amazing effort for
0: you. While people uh, came to know about us and I started putting my work out, someone donated for cages and then we never had to, earlier we had to run uh, to the municipality to, you know, give us uh, money for the sterilisation. But then we started getting donors, so we did not have to, uh, you know, ask the municipality for money. We could pay the di- uh, the doctors directly uh, with our funds. And, uh, and it became quite easy. We got cages. Uh, I got a car, a big car, in which we could fit three dogs at once. And uh, so that is how it became streamlined uh, slowly, and uh, it got easier.
1: That's amazing, especially getting minister's support as well during the lockdown in particular. That's a pretty big and determined effort by you. What's the next step? Are you going to look at expand or you said about streamlining? What's your goals for, let's say, the next 12 months?
0: So uh, we, we bought a piece of land uh, in 2018 over here, but we never built our house. But now we have. And uh, so it's a long strip of land. And at one end, we have like a tiny house. And at the other end, I've built uh, two rooms for sterilizing dogs and cats. And uh, now I'm in the process of building kennels where they can stay for post-op care. And we are building a nice fence so that because when the stray dogs come in, uh, their main goal in life as soon as they come out of the anesthesia is to escape. They just don't want to be here, especially because there are a lot of resident dogs here like my 20 dogs earlier when I had six dogs uh, and I used to bring dogs for post-op uh, we, we never used to realize you know they used to come stay come with us for walks and because these were dogs that I was feeding uh, they were very comfortable with me and uh, there was no problem but as the number of dogs increased at home we f- were finding it more and more difficult to contain these dogs and now all the dogs that I knew in the market have already been sterilized so now any dog that I get is an unknown dog For me. So we need to have secure kennels and a secure fence so that even if they, you know, manage to escape from the kennel, they they are not able to jump the fence. So I'm building that on my own land and uh, I've I've done a fundraiser and it's almost 95% completed, uh, my fundraiser.
1: What did you do for Uh, your fundraiser?
0: I just put it on Instagram. And uh, people have uh, donated. My sterilization center is ready. It's just two rooms. It's not like a huge center with equipment. It's just two clean rooms with tiles and uh, nice light and well ventilated. And uh, we are going to invite vets uh, from uh, cities uh, and we are going to pay them of course. And uh, they are going to come and one or two vets, and they are going to sterilize dogs, cats, whoever needs uh, the sterilization and then uh, they go back. So, we did two camps uh, earlier in my rented place and after that the landlord put his foot down and he said that no more sterilization in my house. So, that's why we, we, we put a rush on this house and we made a tiny house but we made sure that, you know, we left... A nice bit of land for these existing dogs to play and a nice uh, section where even the post-op dogs have sun. They have place to, you know, like roam around and they don't feel closeted and, you know, claustrophobic when they're with us for their post-op. So uh, this is the goal to um, do it more systematically to reach more villages. And I want to put this message out uh, in all these villages that you don't need to kill female puppies, you don't need to leave old dogs or manged dogs or dogs with tumours and cancers on the road or in the forest. There is help. If you can't come here, we will come to you. And even though rescue is slow, I mean here in the mountain, by the time I come to hear about some dog you know, who's very far away, he's like six hours drive and me leaving these 20 dogs and going and getting that dog home and then, you know, just adding him to my pack by the time, uh, you know, people abandoned, already abandoned those dogs. So I want to build on this and I want to get more help, you know, get volunteers here and uh, get a proper dedicated vehicle where, you know, somewhere down the line, five years down the line, we can even go to a village park uh, ambulance there and do five sterilizations you know, in a day, so that people know there are options there. They don't need to, you know, kill or abandon dogs. There's help. And, you know, mange is a very treatable, very curable thing. And, you know, just with tablets is going to be okay. It can be okay. So, I just want to get this message out, uh, at least in the surrounding villages, that, you know, help is available. And we, will you know, we're doing it with a passion and we will come to your place if you can't come to us because here roads are bad. I mean, some villages, there are no roads. 80% of the villages, they'll just be like a pathway and people will walk there. So if they have a sick dog who can't move, who can't, they're not going to carry that dog and bring him to me, you know. So I have to increase my reach. And for that, I need to find some help who will stay here with my dog so that I am able to go to these villages and, you know, offer help. So that is the long-term plan.
1: That's amazing. And you do it all yourself. Obviously, you'll have volunteers coming in, but the whole drive is, is you as is your friend still with you helping or is it just mainly uh-huh. 100% you she now? She
0: helps me when she can. She has a full-time job and she recently got married and she herself has 10 dogs of her own, all rescues. So, uh, and her house doesn't have a fence, so it's difficult for her to manage, more difficult for her to manage her 10 dogs than it is for me to manage my 20, because I have a fence. I can just let them be in the fence, but she either has to chain up her dogs or she has to put them indoors or she has to manage them so that they are not out and about and you know, people complain and even in the villages here, there is a lot of harassment regarding dogs. And uh, animals, so uh, she has to be like really on her toes. So she helps when she can. Uh, My son was with me until this year, my elder son, Mm, he's 20, and uh, he has left for his higher studies. He's gone to Mumbai now. So now I'm looking for someone who can, you know, be with me and stay with me, at least take care of the dogs at home so that. I can go out and, you know, help more animals. So the search is on. People don't want to come and live in the villages. They they have this romantic idea about the mountains, but when they come here and it snows and there's no electricity for three days, there's no hot water, there's no running water, quickly all the romantic notions, you know, fly out of the window. So And not to mention yeah. there's
1: leopards as well.
0: Yes, leopards.
1: What incredible work you're doing obviously it's bringing you amazing joy to be able to help these dogs
0: it is it is it's it's immensely fulfilling and you know the whole time that i used to work for corporate in mumbai like we as was a custom publishing house and i used to think whenever i wrote i used to write uh, these articles for magazines, like uh, for Jet Wings. Jet Wings. was one of our clients and they had this in-flight magazine in which you had to write travel articles and Marion Cotillard war for the Oscars and stuff like that. And I used to think, I mean, what good are these words doing in the world, you know? I mean, how are they helping someone or how are they making a difference in someone? All the, whatever I do from morning 10 till evening 6.30, It's just making money for myself and it's not doing anything for me, you know, it's and I tried uh, getting in touch uh, with a lot of NGOs and a lot of charities and I said, I'll, you know, write for you for free. Uh, You know, if you have some corporate stuff that you want me to write press releases or whatever, I'm going to write for free so that my words help someone, you know, they make a difference that time makes a difference. But as it so happened, like I, none of my applications were ever considered or, you know, taken seriously. And once we came here, I was working remotely, but the connectivity was so bad and uh, there used to be so many lags for work. If your, you know, um, laptop gets fried or something, you have to take it to town and even in town, it'll not get repaired. You have to take it to Delhi, which is like 300 kilometers and it's like 15 days have gone and you've not got your laptop back. So then I said, no, I can't work because it's like really stressful not having a laptop, not having, you know, electricity. Uh, The power will go off like for days. The minute it starts raining, they switch off the power over here because the grid is not equipped to handle like rain or, you know, wind or the branches or whatever. Really difficult to work here. So I I just quit altogether uh, working. And I told my husband, now you manage. (laughs) I'm retired (laughs) early now. You're far from retired
1: though. You're doing different work, which is probably three times the amount of, four times the amount of time that you were doing before in in writing copy for magazines.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then slowly the work, I mean, the dogs kept coming and uh, the number of dogs at home increased and the number of dogs like we were taking for sterilization increased. Now I have like a full, full, full time job, like.
1: Five to nine in the night. <laughs> Five to nine. <laughs> is the plan longer term to create an organization or is it just like let's just keep doing this yourself?
0: So once this sterilization center is built, I have to click photographs and I have to show what I've done till now like all the photographs of all the dogs that we've gotten sterilized and testimonials from the vet who came here for sterilization and the vets where we took dogs for sterilization and we need to submit all this paperwork to the animal husbandry department and ask them for proper permission to run this place and they're going to send a veterinary officer to examine the place whether you know it's clean and the dogs are being kept properly and uh, hopefully even on one sterilization day they'll send a veterinary officer to see whether you know everything is being done correctly So we are going to do, I'm going to do all the paperwork and register as a charity and, you know, have a CA and do all the books and the accounts and everything. So it's going to be organised now.
1: When do you take any time off? Do you ever take a day off? And and if you do, or, or half a day, and what do you do? How do you spend that time?
0: I have not had a day off in three years and uh, my when when i go for long distance rescues uh, like we drive 6 hours 5 hours 3 hours is like normal so i i tell myself this is your day out and when we stop for food or something i'm like okay now i'm eating out and this is my holiday and i go for the rescue and i bring the dog back and my holiday is over but uh, one one of my life goals is to uh, learn um, you know learn how to be a paravet, like learn the basics of veterinary, uh, you know, stuff, because uh, I can't hire a vet to, you know, live here because I can't afford that kind of salary. Uh, So at least the basic stuff like giving IV fluids or setting a cast or suturing, you know, a gaping wound or something like that. So one of my life goals is to learn that so i have applied to different charities in all over india and i got accepted uh, somewhere which is like they are very very awesome uh, rescuers uh, they are down south in chennai so i'm uh, that's my time out that's like my holiday that i've planned for like 2 years in my head so i'm going to go there <laughs> and learn how to do all this stuff so that even if you know no animal has to die uh, because there are no vets after 230 over here after 230 the government clinic shuts and there is no one to give fluids or to do anything uh, you know to for a dog or a cat so i'm i'm you know uh, i want to be able to be there for any animal that needs help any time of the day or night my center is here i live on the premises so if there is an animal that needs urgent care, I'm like right here. Once I have those skills, I can always help that animal. And I'll right now I do consults with vets in cities. So I have six vets who, whose uh, brains I pick like in turn. Like I send them the video of the animal and I ask them, you know, what should I do? And they tell me, you take the temperature, do this, do this, do this. So I do do all these stuff. I do give IV and you know, set a plaster cast. Like I had this dog uh, with multiple fractures, a puppy, and every night she used to chew her plaster off. Like the whole night she used to sit and chew, 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 and in the morning there's no plaster. Okay. So that's when I learned how to put the cast uh, for fractures for puppies. So I want to do it like from proper people and then uh, that's
1: it. Well, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to reading your memoir or your book one day. (laughs)
0: Yes, yes, it's in the works. Is it in the sure. works,
1: being, being a writer? So, have you written a book before?
0: I've written short stories and struggled a lot with finding a publisher because uh, custom publishing is, I mean, you, you give money and, you know, they'll publish your work. So, But money is, is not something which I have, like, tons of lying around. But, yeah, I have short stories about animals and about life in the mountains, in the villages, and human interest stories that, you know, if, if we thought that animals have a bad deal here in rural India, humans have a worse deal than animals in terms of medical care. Uh, till I was involved with animals, I only used to think about animals. Oh, how is it that, you know, this dog died and he never got help. But there are humans here who live in such remote villages that by the time they get a taxi to take the person to the hospital, that person passes away. And because the hospitals are so far, and even if they're so far, they don't have a post-mortem facility. So many times people don't know what the person died of, and they are just cremated. Like, you don't know what that person died of. So, if animals have it bad in rural India, I mean, imagine how the fate of humans, because... Uh, This is like a really remote area. There are no roads. There'll be like one village with one car which is parked 10 kilometers away because the road ends, the motorable road ends there. And then the rest of the path is on foot. So if someone is sick, they have to carry that person down 10 kilometers of mountain, you know. So they're not going to do it for dogs or cats. So like working with animals has shown me that, you know, even humans need and deserve help. In these places. So it's, it's, I have human interest stories also uh, in my book. And hopefully when it gets published, people will come to know the real India. Because people in cities have no idea what rural living is like. They, we are incredibly privileged to be living in cities. And we have no idea what people and animals go through in all these far flung areas. And you know, there's a lot of cruelty here. Like what I told you about burying the female puppies and, but once you start working and once you start seeing these people's lives, you come to know that they don't have any options and they are so poor that they don't have the patience to be kind, you know, to to see the suffering or to feed another animal. Even animals are like taking away the share of humans. There is so much Poverty here. So it's a, you know, it's a very complex uh, ecosystem here regarding humans and animals. And I hope, you know, with my work, I can touch more lives. And there are a lot of people here from cities who work for humans who provide employment and there are, there are mass migrations, from especially from the mountains, there are mass migrations towards cities because there are very few opportunities uh, for making livelihoods here. Uh, so, you know, hopefully uh, further down the line, my children can take this up and they can work with the human uh, charities, the people who work for humans. And, you know, we can set up a network where there is help available for animals and humans, you know, everywhere, at least in this place.
1: How do people find you online? How can people help? Uh,
0: So I have an Instagram page called Himalayan Tales. It's tales, T-A-I-L-S, not trails. A lot of people get confused. Uh, So it's called Himalayan Tales. And I'm on Facebook as Iram Q., And it's the same stuff gets posted on Facebook because that used to be my my own Facebook. But now I don't have anything else except animals. So my animal stuff gets posted there automatically. Whenever I make an Instagram post, it gets posted there. And I have a PayPal link. And for people in India, there are all these phone apps through which they can donate. So when you go to my page, you can see all my work. And the PayPal link is also in the bio. And Uh, can
1: people donate from anywhere around the world?
0: yes they can uh, paypal i think they can they can
1: aram thank you so much for joining me on this episode this has been mind-blowing the work that you're doing you're such an incredible and inspirational human being
0: thank you john thank you for having me here and thank you for you know making my voice go reach more people and all the dogs of rani Khet and Uttarakhand are looking forward so that you know more people know about them